right. It is good to be together. Guys, I have good news for you. There's only one service. So you can continue these conversations immediately after this service without any worry of having to get out. I noticed that this side, most of you in this section were seated the whole time. So rather, rather than rebuke you for not getting up and shaking hands, I actually want to commend you for modeling being in your seats ready to go <laughs> at the end of the sermon bumper, guys. You modeled it tremendously. Well done. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to be together with all of you. One service. Are you liking the summer schedule? Yeah, so for those of you who are newer, we moved to this last week, and we plan to continue for eight to ten weeks, and then we're going to reassess at the end how desperately we need to go back to two services. But at least through the end of August and into Labor Day, we're going to be at one service. So thank you guys for moving to the middle of your rows. I actually think that really helped people find some seats. Uh, we're not going to ask who because they'd be telling on themselves. So I have two very quick announcements telling on themselves that they were late. That you guys got it. You got it. Okay, I have two brief announcements. One, Kindred is our wonderful women's ministry led by the one and only Sarah Kinnearum. And tomorrow night, Kindred Women's Prayer, 6.30 tomorrow night here at Midtown. So if you're a lady and you like to pray, please come. That's it. That's the announcement. All right, the other announcement, uh, Mike prayed for this, but we are having a back-to-school fiesta, and we are partnering, partnering with Nueva Vida, our Hispanic congregation at New Life, to serve families in our city this upcoming Saturday. Now, we've been giving announcements. It's been in our weekly newsletter. There have been all kinds of things, but if this is the first time that you're hearing about it, it is not too late. So either one of two things, go to our website and find all the information there, or go to the Welcome Center right out here in front, the big long blue table in the front lobby immediately after service, and someone will be there to share the details with you for the back-to-school fiesta. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. That was robust, y'all. Good job. <laughs> My name is Jonathan Swindle. I'm the worship and executive pastor here at New Life Midtown. Our senior pastors, Jade and Christy Duncan, are on vacation, a much-needed vacation this week. So you guys are stuck with me. And if you're here for the first time or the, first or the second or third time, if you're relatively new, there is a QR code in the nearest pocketed seat in front of you. And the only thing that we would ask of you is if you are interested in receiving any more information, if you're looking for a home church, go ahead and just take your camera out, zoom in on the QR code, and it will take you to a form where you just insert your name and your email address. And all that does is just let us know to respond and send you some information. That's it. We're not going to hassle you. We don't bombard you with a bunch of emails. It just lets us know that you're at least interested in hearing from us. And then in August, we'll be having a New Life Next. And we're going to probably next week begin registrations for New Life Next. For those of you, the same group of people that are looking for a home church here in the city of Colorado Springs, it's a lunch that we will have immediately following the service between one hour and an hour and 15 minutes. It's a free lunch and there is childcare where we share just a little bit about our church 
and we also give you a time to ask some of your most important questions. So welcome to New Life Midtown. We're glad that you're here. This week, we are, we're kind of in a, a limbo season. Uh, the New Life community of eight churches, generally speaking, we synchronize our Sunday morning services, which means that we're all preaching either the same topic or the same text. But there are a handful of times throughout the year, right now is one for the next four weeks, and then Advent, which is the season that precedes Christmas, where the eight congregations get the liberty to preach from whatever they want to. And throughout the history of my preaching, there have been long extended seasons where I've preached from the lectionary, and it's been a great joy to me. For those of you who do not know what the lectionary is, the lectionary is a set of prescribed texts that many different traditions of the church follow. And every week there is an Old Testament text, a New Testament epistle text, a gospel text, and a psalm. And you can choose from those. So in many Anglican churches, Methodist churches, Episcopal churches, they preach from the lectionary all the time. That is how they do it. And for some of you, that sounds daunting or restricting, but I have found it actually freeing. And when I found out I was going to be preaching today, the first thing I decided to do was just let's see what these texts were. And immediately, two of the texts gripped me. And I didn't exactly know how I was going to preach these texts until, well, right now, actually. So we're going to find out together. <laughs> but I knew instantly, and it's not always that easy. I am deeply inside of my head most of the time. But I knew as soon as I read the text what I was going to be preaching this week. Before I get into the text, how many podcast fans do we have in here? How many of you do listen to podcasts when you're working out, when you're driving, when you're... I am one of these that it is a rare moment when I do not have something going, either music or podcasts. It's probably a little unhealthy, but don't you judge me, because <laughs> a bunch of you raised your hands. And most of the time, it's either sermons or theology podcasts or NBA I am a raging NBA, National Basketball Association, basketball for those of you who, it's fine if you don't, but I'm a huge basketball fan. There is one exception to this rule, and that is the Revisionist History Podcast. Do any of you listen to the Revisionist History Podcast? Thank you, Jake and Aaron. Malcolm Gladwell, who knows who Malcolm Gladwell is? A multi-best New York Times bestselling author, guy who wrote Tipping Point, Outliers, David and Goliath, What the Dog Saw, the list goes on and on. Malcolm Gladwell is a journalist who has this podcast called Revisionist History, and Revisionist History's aim is to go look at historical people, events, songs, or ideas that were either overlooked or misunderstood. And you didn't know you needed it until you listened to one of these podcasts, and it just blows your mind the things, he examines things like vaccines, um, things in history, um, in war, uh, events of racial unrest. He looks at Rick Berry's granny shot free throw. He looks at Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah, and everything in between. And he tells the story of the side of those things that most of us have never heard. And I think when it comes to the biblical text, most of us, if we were raised in good Bible-believing evangelical churches, one thing is for sure, you heard a lot of biblical sermons, which is wonderful. Where else should we be preaching from? But the flip side of that, the underbelly, is that if you've been in church long enough, 
there are some stories and some biblical figures where immediately upon hearing the name or hearing the, the name of the passage, the good Samaritan, Mary and Martha, the woman at the well, whatever, feeding of the 5,000, that immediately what happens is you pull all the details from Sunday school and all the sermons you've heard on this topic before, and before you know it, you're making assumptions and you're unable to read the text for what it actually says. And I'm not saying this about you, I'm saying this also about myself, that the longer we walk with the Lord, the longer we read scripture, we have to force ourselves to be careful readers of scriptures so that we don't just fill in all the gaps with all the things that we've been told that the Bible says. Because what ends up happening is we overlook what the Spirit might be saying to us now and in the oversimplification of characters or Bible stories, we end up missing the complexity of human life and human nature. For instance, if I say King David, a number of things will come to many of your minds. The killing of Goliath, the wars that David was a great warrior, being chased by Saul, being out in the wilderness, David and Bathsheba, which we've preached on many times in this church. I'm being a man after God's own heart. David is a poet, he's a warrior, he's a songwriter, he's all these things. And I think what we fail to remember about David's story is that on his deathbed, does anybody remember what he does? He gives orders for Solomon to go and make his revenge. That at the end of this man after God's own heart's life, he still is eaten up with bitterness, anger, and vengeance. We're complicated figures. And when we read the scriptures, we have to do everything we can to resist either villainizing the characters or making them heroes and putting them on a pedestal, aside from Jesus, of course. And we could go on and on. I could talk about Solomon. I could talk about Abraham. I could talk about Moses and how complex these characters are and complex the stories are. And I think one thing we tend to forget is that when God named his people, he didn't name them after Abraham, the father of our faith. He didn't name them after Moses. He didn't name the people of God after anything but Israel. Do you know what Israel means? I know you do, Charlie, so hold it to yourself. <laughs> Israel means one who wrestles with God that God wanted for himself a people that were obedient, yes, but were more than obedient. They were obedient even unto arguing and wrestling and bringing their complaints and bringing the things they don't like about life to God. And in the wrestling, their hearts and their minds and their character would be even further, even deeper transformed into God's likeness. This morning, <clears throat> this morning, excuse me, the story that we're going to read together is one of these stories that I think, as soon as I tell you what it is, immediately your mind is going to be filled with what you think it says. And my challenge for all of us today, and I've had to do this all week, resist the temptation to preach this like I would have had I not wrestled. So as we read the story of Mary and Martha... I want us to resist 
all of the things you think you know about these characters in this story, because I think God has a word for us today for exactly where we're at. I, I actually believe that. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the work of your spirit that illumines our hearts and breathes life into the word for us as a community, and you will do that this morning, I trust and believe. And I pray that you would filter my words, that you would open their hearts and their ears, and I pray that I would not say anything that would be a hindrance, but that we would wrestle together with your texts in your divine presence this morning, that we might be made more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit today. God's people say, amen. amen. This story is one that Christians have often taught to contrast two ways of life that end up being at odds with one another. The contemplative way of life or the active life. We might say being or doing. How many of you have heard sermons around the story of Mary and Martha in these contexts? The worldly way of being with Jesus or the deeply spiritual way of being with Jesus. And what I want to propose this morning is obviously that this story is far more complex, but that what we really want and what Jesus really wants is for us to embody both ways of being while having the spirit within us, allowing us and causing us and giving us the strength to discern in what moments to live into and to press into being like Mary, and in what moments should we lean into and press into being like Martha. So let's read the story together. Luke chapter 10, it will be up on the screen, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and that will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's actually happening? What does the story say? Well, first, Martha opened her home to Jesus and presumably his disciples. This is a generous act of hospitality. And before we rush to think about Martha as being one who's just a, a logistics person or a details person, don't do that before you recognize that in this chapter, the two stories that happened before both laud hospitality. Both stories before this, Jesus places hospitality up on a pedestal. By all accounts, Martha is the quintessential host. The beginning of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out, the 70 disciples, and tells them to go find a place of welcome, those where they welcome them with peace. That will be the blessed city. Stay there. But those who do not welcome you with peace, move on and dust off your sandals. 
Jesus is lauding hospitality. Hospitality is the way of Christ and his kingdom. And the story that immediately precedes this one is the story of the Good Samaritan. Another story that when you read it, when we read it, we must resist the urge to fill in all the gaps. But what is inevitably true about the story of the Good Samaritan is that being hospitable to people matters far more than what you know. That the priest and the Levite, they knew all of the right things, but when it came to the moment to embody the kingdom of God to someone in need, they justified their decision to walk on the other side. This is what's dangerous. They used the law to justify not doing what is actually at the heart of the law, which is caring for people. So hospitality is something that Jesus has lauded over and over and over again, is trying to get his people to embody hospitality. Jesus is the ultimate servant. He calls himself a servant. Jesus says that if you want to be the greatest, you have to learn how to serve. So before we vilify Martha, I think it's important to recognize that what she's doing is actually exactly what Jesus has asked for throughout the Gospels. Jesus says multiple times that the greatest of all is the one who serves. Martha is acting as one who serves. She's being a good host for Jesus and his guests. So then we discover that Mary sits at Jesus' feet while Martha is distracted by all of the preparations. So this sitting at Jesus' feet is not a casual hanging out. It's not any kind of romantic intimacy. This was the embodiment of a social custom where the disciples would sit at the feet of a rabbi. So Mary is there presumably with other people. It's most likely not just Mary and Jesus. His disciples are traveling with him and they're all sitting at Jesus' feet and Mary is audacious enough to invite herself as a woman to the party to go sit at Jesus' feet and receive of his teaching about the kingdom of God. Mary is being taught while Martha is working to ensure that what Jesus receives is her best. Martha is bothered that the preparations for Jesus and all these people might not be ready. Now, in your mind, don't think she's, you know, getting glasses of water for three people. She's preparing a meal for 10 to 20 people. There are a lot of things that need to be done. Everyone who has cooked on Thanksgiving or Christmas morning can relate. It's really hard to be a part of the conversation with your family that's in from out of town while you feel like you have this feast that you have to prepare. So let's be compassionate to Martha for opening her home as a woman, being hospitable not just to Jesus, but all of those traveling with Jesus, while Mary is so bold as to go sit at Jesus' feet. This was good hospitable work to prepare a meal for Jesus and all who came with him to teach. And here's what I think we need to hear. Martha is preparing for Jesus and her friends, his friends, while Mary is herself being prepared. Mary isn't just sitting there, she's sitting there receiving of the teaching of Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the Messiah, as he teaches about the kingdom of God. Mary herself is being prepared. Martha is preparing a space so that they can be prepared. 
And both of these ways of being are essential to learning to live the Christian life faithfully. Then she says, Lord, don't you care? Martha is sensing this is not going to get done. There's too much work if I'm doing this by myself. If my sister doesn't help me, it's going to be lunchtime, and y'all are going to be hungry, and you're going to be blaming it on me. Okay, what I don't think we should hear here is petty sibling rivalry. Like my two toddlers when they're fighting over a truck. I don't think that's what's happening I think Martha is wanting to give Jesus and those with Jesus her absolute best. She's trying to be the host that Jesus has been commissioning his disciples to be this whole time. And she's getting caught up in the moment, realizing I'm not able to be all that I want to be for Jesus in this moment. Therefore, I need her to come and help me. And Jesus' response is, Martha... You're distracted by so many things. You're distracted by all the details and anxious, some of your translations will say. And I hear Jesus saying this, not in a way of rebuke. I think it's Martha's fervor for the Lord. It's her wanting to please Jesus and to serve Jesus that has got her here in this moment anyways. But I hear Jesus speaking with gentleness and compassion, saying, Martha, Martha, you're anxious. Calm down. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen this thing, and it will not be taken from her. Right. Notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't rebuke Martha in any way. He doesn't rebuke Martha, and he also doesn't say, Martha, you should have been in here with Mary. There is uh, a Christian tradition, Ephraim the Syrian, don't worry, you're not going to be quizzed on this, and Meister Eckhart, two preeminent theologians from the Middle Ages, who both in their commenting on this passage say that Martha is actually the more mature Christian believer because presumably what Mary is learning, Martha already knows because she's embodying. But where Martha goes wrong is she gets caught up in the moment and cannot discern what's happening for Mary in that moment. That Mary needs what she might already have. And there is a way for Martha to not just quit doing the things she's doing, but to do those things in a way that is prayerful and contemplative and intimate with Jesus without being stressed out and panicking. Do you hear how much more nuanced this is than the way that many of us have heard it? She does misread the moment. Martha misreads the moment, but she does it because she's full of love for Jesus and she wants to do good work for Jesus. There are many of you in this place that have burdens that the Holy Spirit has placed in your heart throughout the years of following Jesus. And you are constantly resisting the urge, hopefully resisting the urge, but you have the urge to, not, to be frustrated with other churches and other believers who just aren't getting it. Why aren't they helping? Why aren't they helping with this cause? Why am I always the one doing this? Why am I always the one leading a table group? Wink, wink, that'll be coming in a couple of weeks. 
Why am I always the one showing up at these outreaches? And we got 200 and some people in here and there's only 10 people. And these things are generally speaking coming from a place of love and fervor for the Lord and wanting other people to experience that alongside us. And if we're not careful, we get so caught up in it that we can get angry or bitter or hurt thinking that Jesus doesn't care. Like Elijah going, am I the only prophet? Am I the only one? Actually, there are thousands more, Elijah, but go, hunt, go ahead with your little temper tantrum. It's okay. <laughs> By the way, if you're going to have a temper tantrum, you might as well have it to Jesus. It is interesting that she directs Jesus to her comments to Jesus and not to Mary. She doesn't say to Mary, get in here and help me. I think there is a tinge of hurt. Jesus, why? why I thought I was doing what you would have wanted and yet you're allowing her to sit at your feet and not say anything well so which is it what are we to make of Jesus responses what are we to make of Mary and Martha and what are we to take away knowing that Jesus does affirm Mary's decision and he doesn't rebuke Martha we're not even sure what we're supposed to do with Martha Fred Craddock, a famous uh, homiletics professor, homiletics is just the teaching of preaching, one of the most famous homiletics professors of all time says this, if we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, the Samaritan or Mary, his answer would be yes. <laughs> his answer would be yes. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan is immediately preceding this story. Martha did what was right, but Mary chose what was better, at least for her in that moment. Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. This is Charles Spurgeon. Rather, it is the telling, telling the difference between right and almost right. Right and almost right. I think what we need in this season, perhaps more than ever before, is discernment. The discernment when we are speaking with someone, when we feel like God, I feel like I'm exhausted. Am I supposed to keep serving in this ministry? Am I supposed to do this again? Where am I at in my season, Lord? I think we need discernment. We need to discern the time and the season. And it appears that Mary had discernment. That Martha knew, generally speaking, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But Mary discerned in the moment what was better. We're not being called to give up being like Martha, but to add to that the ability to discern to be like Mary. They're not at odds with one another. The both and of the Christian faith is to be formed and sent, to sit with Jesus and to work with Jesus in the world. It's not a social gospel or a prayerful, intimate gospel. It is a both and. And this is one of the most difficult things for the church in this age to wrestle with. Mostly, I'm convinced, because we're afraid of being labeled one way or the other. If we do a little too much of one, are we going to be labeled liberal or social? Or are we going to be labeled too charismatic and weird? And I'm here to tell you this morning, we have to sit at Jesus' feet and be about the Father's business. 
And Jesus embodied this perhaps more than anyone ever in history. Well, absolutely more than everyone in history. I think there is a passage in Colossians chapter 1. Let's turn there if you have your Bibles. We're going to read verses 15 to 20. That helps understand how we are actually able to integrate these things. I'm going to begin reading verse 15. The Son, Paul speaking of Jesus, of course, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, material and spiritual. That was my commentary, not in the verse. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, serving and sitting, teaching, receiving, and embodying all things held together. He is before all, oh, I read that one. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Whether things on heaven, in heaven, or things on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How is it possible for us to be the kind of people that live into the way of Martha and live into the way of Mary without compromise. It will not be perfect. It will never be perfect. But to do our best to live into both of these ways of living without pitting them against one another, I think this is how. We recognize that in all, that Jesus holds all good things together. All things were created through him and for him, things visible and invisible that Jesus cares about our bodies and our spirits. And those things don't have to be at odds with one another. That Jesus came to save our soul and redeem our bodies. And those things are not at odds with one another. That Jesus cares about our inner life. He also cares about what we do with our bodies, what we say with our mouths, how we help people in need. And those are not at odds with each other, no matter how much Christian culture tries to tell us that they are, tries to peg us as a certain kind of people. This is the kind of people we are. You ready? We're the kind of people who have the life of Christ living within us. And we are doing our best to make more and more and more space for the fullness of Christ to be embodied in this community. That's who we're called to be. So this morning, what might we hear the Spirit saying through this story? I have four very brief points, and then we're going to come to the table. Number one, Jesus makes it possible to integrate working and being, or acting and contemplating, while discerning the moment. While discerning the moment. Jesus makes it possible. We have to hold these things together within the Christ who holds them all together and holds us all together. Jesus holds Mary and Martha together close to him and he knows what they both need and he knows that without each other, they are incomplete. We work and we do while being prayerful and contemplative 
And there are also times to stop working and leave the work to someone else as we're discerning the moment. That's a word for someone in this space. Pentecostals, my people, charismatics, my people, I'm claiming this for myself, are perhaps the worst at transgressing the boundary of wanting to sit in the presence of the Lord ignorantly ignoring all the work that there is to be done. And there are other groups of people that are my cousins, my, my distant Christian faith tradition relatives that would always err on the other side. They're super uncomfortable in worship nights and prayer meetings, but they're happy to get their hands dirty and go do some stuff. And I want to say there's a place for all of us in this space. And wherever you lean, pay attention to the other side. The Spirit might be nudging you there for a season. Discern. Is it time for me to get uncomfortable and leave the work to someone else? Maybe it's time for you to keep working, but don't give up praying. Don't give up paying attention. Don't give up listening to people around you. Discernment will help us to know which to lean into, and how to do both things more fully. Number two, true hospitality is more than just serving physical needs. It demands that we be fully present to those we're serving. The book of Luke is, you could say, the most clear summation of the book of Luke is that Jesus came as the host, though he was often hosted. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the book of Luke is overwhelmingly about hospitality, about welcoming those who culturally you would have never welcomed. True hospitality, though, is not just meeting people's physical needs. That's what we get in the previous story, the Good Samaritan. I think what we learn here is that true hospitality isn't getting caught up in the details as much as it is also learning to listen and pay attention to the people we're called to serve. And Mary reveals that. Martha opens the space. Martha makes the space. But Mary creates space within her. There is an intimacy that Mary and Jesus have in that moment that is also another part of hospitality. Let me make this really black and white. It's not enough to throw money at stuff. It's not enough even just to throw time at stuff. If we want to be hospitable in the way that Jesus calls us to be hospitable, we have to open ourselves. We have to open ourselves. We have to listen. Because if not, what ends up happening? You inadvertently become the Savior. You are the one with the material. They are the one in need. But when we open up ourselves, there is actually a space where the one in physical need might be able to meet a need that you have internally. And we see this over and over and over in scripture. True hospitality is more than just serving physical needs. It's not providing a service. Christian hospitality is not providing a service. It is opening up space for God's work to touch the people who need him most, where they need him most. Number three, our maturity will be tested by how we view those who have chosen differently from us. Uh-oh, now I'm meddling. 
I mentioned earlier that there is a part of the Christian tradition that says that there's a way in which Martha is actually more mature because she's embodying the message that Jesus has been teaching. And of course, in that moment, we don't know what he's actually saying to Mary. But being mature does not mean that you do not have further maturity to gain, that there is not more to grow. And every one of us know what it feels like to make a choice that you think is the choice everyone should be making, to then have someone really close to you make a different choice. Oh, man, is that challenging. It's so difficult. And I think this is what it is revealed in Martha in this moment. And it's revealed in every one of us. When we show up to the outreach or we show up to the prayer meeting or we show up to the worship night and we're going, how could they not be here? They say they're all about this. They say they love Jesus, but they're not here and I'm here. Our maturity will be tested when others choose differently than we have chosen. Martha's service was an act of hospitality for Jesus, but it was also an act of hospitality for Mary. Discernment, Corey Tenboom says this, discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault finding. Ooh, that's challenging. When you find yourself inwardly enraged or maybe just perturbed, like light enraged, <laughs> bothered, bothered. For years, guys, I used to say, I don't get angry, I get frustrated. That was the biggest lie I've ever told. <clears throat> I'm 35 and I can admit I get angry and frustrated, okay? But when you get bothered or perturbed, it is an invitation to intercession, not to fault finding. In that moment, Martha didn't have to quit working. She could have prayed for Mary and prayed to Jesus and prayed for all of those who were sitting at Jesus' feet. But she didn't. She didn't. She had allowed herself for at least a moment to make a judgment and Corey Ten Boom gently reminds us that when we come into those moments and it's, it's an invitation to intercession, it's an invitation to intercession. And lastly, Seth, if you would come and the communion attendants would get ready. We often want to host Jesus, but we must remember that wherever Jesus is, he's the host. This is the good news. And this is the message that is reiterated throughout the book of Luke. Remember the story with Zacchaeus? He's invited in. Zacchaeus doesn't know it, but Jesus is actually the host. Jesus subversively turns the conversation into a way where Zacchaeus' greatest need is exposed. And guess what? The one who can meet that need is the host in his presence. This happens again in Luke chapter 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus pops up out of nowhere and has this conversation with the disciples on the road to, the, to Emmaus and they break bread together and Jesus somehow with these visitors that he's crashed their party becomes the host. You guys can come forward. Community attendants, please come forward. And here is the good news in all of this today that we will never be able to do all that we feel like God wants us to do. 
We'll never, ever, ever be able to do it. But it doesn't rest on us alone. That as much as we feel like we are the host, that we have to make this happen for Jesus, when you feel that, remember, Jesus is the host. And everything you have to give, you first receive from him. And every invitation you extend, you first receive from him. That everything you're able to do for the kingdom of God is only because Jesus has opened up and made space for you to be able to do it. And given you the power of his spirit to allow you and empower you to do it. Let's stand this morning as we prepare to come forward and receive of these elements. When we first started doing communion every week about four years ago, we had a bunch of people in the congregation, and understandably so, ask us why. Why are we doing this every week? Won't it get old? Funny enough, we never asked that about preaching. <laughs> and you know it gets old. You know it gets old. But here's one of the beautiful things about Eucharist, about communion. This embodies the integration of the material and the spiritual. This is Colossians 1. This is the one who holds all things together. And we are not ones who have grand theologies of how exactly Jesus is present to us in a unique way. We just believe he is. He told us to do this in remembrance of him and we do it in remembrance of him. And we trust and we know that Jesus through the power of the spirit is uniquely present to us in the Eucharist moment. But don't ever forget, don't let it be lost on you that this is an actual cracker. <laughs> that Jesus didn't just give us a prayer or some ethereal thing. He gave us bread and wine slash grape juice here at New Life Midtown. <laughs> And by the way, it is gluten-free bread for those, I, I may forget to say that. This is a beautiful picture of the way that we are called to live lives that are integrated spiritually, doing the work of the Lord while not failing to sit with Jesus, always being open for Jesus to speak to us, to challenge us, to shape us in his image, but never not being on mission with him. And the discernment is to know where to lean in any given moment, but we never fully relinquish either one. So as we come forward to the table of the Lord, let this be a reminder that all things are held together in the Christ who holds us together. Come to the table of the Lord, receive the body and the blood, and we will go back to our seats and we will partake of the elements together.
finished serving, I, I want to say one added thing that it's easy to hear a message like this and for certain people, certain personalities to hear and have flood your mind all the ways that you feel like you're being Martha or all the ways that you've been close but not quite right. You've been zealous for the Lord, but you've made a bunch of mistakes. By the way, all of us have. But I want you to hear, there is not an ounce of shame or condemnation in Jesus talking to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. And anytime in scripture, there is a word like that, also specifically a name repeated. It's meant to help us zoom in on the moment that what's about to be said, this moment is a very precious moment. And I don't think there's any ounce of rebuke in that. It's a gentle, tender course correction. And Jesus says, you've been so anxious and caught up in all these things, but only one thing is needed. You know what the one thing is? It's Jesus. Jesus himself is the one thing. So wherever you're at today, if you feel like you are just a perpetual Martha missing the mark, hear Jesus calling your name. He's calling you into a deeper level of intimacy, knowing that you already get so much of it. You're already embodying so much of it. And church, New Life Midtown, hear this. We are a congregation who I think already embodies this so well. This is not a word of rebuke to you. This is a word of encouragement. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, let us break the cracker and receive the body of Christ. need it more this week. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Church, let us receive the blood of Christ shed for our sins. Oh, amen. Thanks be to God for these good gifts. Well, let us sing the doxology and be reminded that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. peace of Christ, discerning by the power of his spirit, wherever he will lead you this week. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen. It's good to be with you.